So we've uh, got a reading this morning from uh, John chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 1 uh, through to verse 18. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, to get well. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mats. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to him, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. appeared running up to Easter um, called Bystander. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. Now a guy left uh, work on a Friday afternoon, but instead of going home as he usually does, he s decides he's going to spend the entire weekend with his friends. So he goes off, he doesn't tell his wife, and he spends his entire paycheck having a really great time. When he finally came home, he was confronted by his angry wife, who yelled at him for over an hour because of his actions. And finally, the wife seemed to calm down a little bit. She stopped nagging and simply asked, how would you like it if you didn't see me for two to three days? To this, and this is where he made the mistake, he replied, well, that would be fine with me. See, Monday came by, and he didn't see his wife. Tuesday and Wednesday came and went with the same results. 
finally on Thursday, the swelling went down just enough so he could see her out the corner of his eye. You see, seeing is really important. In fact, so much so, we say that seeing is believing. I will believe it when I see it. In fact, we're told that after Jesus had been resurrected, after he'd come back to life, even his disciple Thomas didn't believe. He said, I won't see, I won't believe that Jesus is alive unless I see it. Seeing is often believing. Now, we can read in uh, other words that um, you know, faith is about what we do not see. Actually, faith is about being able to believe despite the fact that we do not see. But that is not the case with John's gospel, with John's account of Jesus. It's very much seeing is believing because John is talking from his experience and talking about the things that he has seen with his own two eyes. He's sharing with the readers evidence about Jesus and who Jesus was. In fact, it says this in John 20. Can you hear me okay? Yes, okay. It's the, that fold, but that's switched off. That's fine. It says this in John 20, 30 to 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might, may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, the purpose of John's gospel is to provide evidence that Jesus not only was a great teacher, not only was a great guy, not only that he healed people, but actually he was the Son of God and the long-awaited Messiah. And John picks seven signs, seven miracles that point towards who Jesus was. And we're working through each of those um, signs, those miracles, as we head up to uh, Easter. And we're looking at the third sign this morning, which Dave just read to us, when a guy um, who was an invalid picks up his mat and walks. He is healed. So let's just, if you've got a Bible, just turn with me, if you haven't done so already, to John um, chapter 5. <clears throat> so you've got it in front of you. And we're going to spend about the next whew, 15 minutes or so um, just looking through uh, some key things from this passage. So the context, the setting for this is a place called Bethesda. It's a pool uh, where we're told uh, invalids, disabled people, people who are ill, people who are unwell, went to with a hope that they would be healed. And interestingly, John uses the word, he says, says now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool. He's saying, look, this place exists now. You can go and see it with your own eyes. I'm talking about a real place. I'm talking about real people. In fact, archaeologists have found this pool. They found it about 100 years ago. You, can go and, you could go and see it if you wanted to. Has anyone actually seen, has anyone actually been to this place? We've got a few people over here. So these people with their hands up, they have seen the place that has been talked about by John here. Seeing is believing. It's a real place. And I kind of want you to try and imagine what this place would have been like. People, desperate people, you know, doctors, 
they're not quite like you know getting an appointment at the GP and going to the hospital now. They didn't have all of that. They had some healers, but nothing like we do. So they had this hope. That in this case, if they could get into the water, then they might be healed. So you could just imagine all these sick people, all these people on their mats, people maybe who are left there to die. There may have been some dead people there who, it was their final hope, and they just hadn't been taken away yet. Now, we've got some sort of idea about how this works. Jesus comes up to this guy and says, in verse 7, he says, I have no one to help me into the ball. This guy's been ill for 38 years and Jesus comes up to him and says do you want to be well we're going to pick up on that question that's going to be our key question this morning do you want to be well and the guy says look I, I want to be well but I can't get into the pool when it gets stirred up the first person that gets in gets healed now you may have noticed those eagle-eyed amongst you that there's actually a verse missing in our passage did anyone spot that you get extra brownie points if you did. Yeah, some of you knew. It actually goes from verse 3 to verse 5. It misses out a verse. And what they reckon is that people didn't quite understand what is going on here. So some later people added in an extra verse. So the older manuscripts do not have verse 4, which is why we don't have it. We tend to always go for the, more, the older uh, uh, manuscripts when we come to translate our Bibles. But it has very helpfully, in my Bible at least, put a footnote it says, some manuscripts include here, wholly or in part, paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the water. The first one into the pool after, such a, after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. So someone later thought, this isn't really making sense. I need to explain this a little bit more. So they stuck in some extra verses. What archaeologists have found is a top, there's a higher pool and a lower pool. The higher pool was a reservoir. There's a subterranean tunnel that went to the lower pool where you got all these guys sitting around. And it, probably what it looks like is when they released water from the upper pool to the, bot, the lower pool, it bubbled up. It wasn't an angel stirring it with a big, big stick. It was literally the water shifted from the upper reservoir to the lower reservoir. And Jewish and pagans alike believed if they managed to get in the water when this happened, they got in there first, they would be cured. This guy had been there for 30, 38 years, he'd been ill, and he was still couldn't get well. I love the simplicity of this miracle and actually most of Jesus' miracles are incredibly simple. We don't have to travel miles to a special place of healing. We don't have to go on pilgrimage. Jesus just says to him, pick up your mat and walk. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter how long this guy had been unwell, this guy had been paralyzed, this guy had been an invalid. Jesus says, just get, up, get up your mat and walk. And that's what the guy does. See, I just said to you a little while ago, we want to pick up on that question that Jesus asks in verse 6 to the guy. Do you want to get well? It seems like a really stupid question. Of course, of course this guy wants to get well. He's been an invalid for 38 years. I mean, that's why he's sitting here by this pool. And yet Jesus asked that question. And I think he asked that question because of what appears a little bit later in our passage. So we're introduced to some guys that John calls 
in, in my version, the Jews or the Jewish leaders. Probably what you could label them as is the religious people. Now, I want to kind of define what I mean by religious, because religious in itself is not a bad thing. But what we find time and time again in the context of the Gospels is that religious people were people that really didn't believe that Jesus was who he was. And what we see, we can't define it here, we see people who see a miracle, they see a guy who has been an invalid for 38 years, pick up his, his mat and walk, and what's the first thing they say? Oi, 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 what do you think you're doing? You can't carry that mat around here. Don't you know it's a Sabbath? If you don't know what the Sabbath was, for Jewish people in the creation story, God rested on the seventh day. He created everything in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. That was called the Sabbath. And in response to what God did, the Jewish people also rested on the Sabbath. But by, which is a great gift, really. You don't have to go back far in our history in this country when people were working all the time. And actually, Sabbath was the only time that people got a break. There was no Saturday. There was no five weeks holiday a year. How, what a great gift it is to have built into your weekly rhythm a break. Who would here would like to have a break every now and then? I would. I think it's such a gift that God builds that into uh, what it means to be a follower of of him and a follower of Jesus. And yet by the time Jesus comes along, it had become this huge burden on people where you couldn't do anything on Sabbath. So much so you couldn't even pick up a mat and walk with it. We wouldn't be able to set the chairs out on a Sunday morning. It had to be done the night before and put away the following day. Couldn't do any work at all. And you've got people, these religious people, that rather than seeing the miraculous event, the miracle of this guy for 38 years being walking, they pick up on the facts that he shouldn't be carrying his mats. And what we find is we follow those passages through. These guys decide that they hate Jesus. They plot to kill Jesus because he's doing stuff that doesn't fit within what they think should be happening, what it means to be a follower of God, what it means to be a Jew. See, I kind of define a religious person as a person that creates and perpetuates rules that limit God and control people. Say that again. Religious people in this context, a negative context, are those that create and perpetuate rules that limit God and control people. See, these were people, if we just jump through in our passage to verse um, 39. If you've got your Bible, you might uh, have a look at that. Jesus says this to these religious people. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You refuse to come to me to have life. Do you want to get well? You obviously do, because you're looking in the scriptures, in the Jewish Bible, to find me. I am here. I am, I'm, I'm here to give you what you want, and yet you're rejecting me. You say you want to get well, but the reality is you don't want to 
make the sacrifices or make the changes in your thinking or the change in the way you're living in order to get well. Let's have a reality check this morning. Not everyone wants to get well. Not everyone wants to get well. They may say they do. You might ask the question, do you want to get well? They're like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, of course, of course I want to get well. But in reality, not everyone wants to get well. There are physical, that's physical, spiritual, financial, emotional. You know, put your hand up if you, th- no, don't put your hand up. Um, if you want to, if you think you need to lose weight. Let's, let's not start, let's not have hands up. No, oh, yeah, thank you, a few hands up there. Um, you know, you could ask lots of people, I need to lose some weight. But the reality is, I'm not willing to make the changes that need to happen in order for that to happen. I quite enjoy chocolates. In fact, I enjoy a lot of chocolates. I'm not willing to make that change, even though I know that's probably what's required for me to lose weight. The only reason I did a, a run yesterday with Eugene, who's up the front, and Christo, who's over... Where are you? There you are. We did a run yesterday. I run so I can eat chocolate. That's the purpose <laughs> of running. See, so it could be our diet. Maybe it's our job. Oh, I can't stand my job. Oh, it's just terrible. I, can't, I hate my boss. And he, well, leave. Well, no, I can't, can't do that. You know, that would be finances. And, no, we'd rather stick with what we know and the security of something we don't like rather than possibly move into something that we do. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe you're there thinking, my marriage is not as it should be. There are things that I need to sort out. Perhaps we could go to marriage counselling, but actually, no, I don't want to, because what if they say I need to change? What if I need to alter the way I live my life? Maybe I need to give up some stuff. So actually, I'd rather settle for a not great marriage rather than make the sacrifices required to have a great marriage. Or maybe it's alcohol. Actually... I ought to drink less, but I like who I am when I've been drinking, I go out. It fills me with confidence. You know, I can't go out and not drink because then I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the life of the party. I wouldn't be who I am. I know I need to stop, but actually I like who I am with the alcohol. Not everyone wants to get well because they're not willing to make the sacrifices required to get well. I remember Jen saying to me when you worked in A&E, my wife Jen used to be an A&E nurse, and a guy came in, he was homeless, and um, he needed a lot of help, he needed a lot of care, and they looked after this guy, they gave him the care, they sorted out a hostel, they hosted out all brand new clothes for him to wear. Got his life back on track. A couple of days later, Jen was walking down the roads, and this guy was there in his old clothes, begging on the streets with his new clothes in a bag tied up beside him. There are some advantages to not getting well. So these religious guys were looking for eternal life. They were pouring over the scriptures, but they didn't want the medicine. They didn't want the cure because they didn't want Jesus. Because Jesus did not fit into the box that they created that defined who God was and what God would do. Maybe they didn't like the challenge that Jesus 
made to accept and welcome those on the fringes, those that were technically dirty to these Jews. See, Jesus said these words in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus has come, Jesus came to ask that question, do you want to get well? Let's take it spiritual for a moment. We talked about marriage and alcohol and stuff like that. But actually maybe Jesus is saying, look, you come to me, you give your life to me and I will make you well. Doesn't mean I'll solve all your problems, but actually I can give you purpose and I can give you a foundation and I can give you a security in life. Because he says in the scripture, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He's knocking at the door of our heart and maybe he's saying to you, do you want to get well? And maybe you're looking again, yes I do, but... I'm not sure I want to make the sacrifices that's required to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe I don't want to make Jesus in charge of my life, because I quite like being in charge of my own life, thank you very much. I like to choose what I do and where I spend my money and my time. Maybe you're thinking, if I become a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be opening myself up to unknown changes. And I'd rather stick with the known than the unknown. Maybe for some of us, we do a half-hearted attempt at getting ourselves well. A few years back, about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, I dislocated my shoulder. I won't go into details. Um, it went back in. It's okay. I can move it. But it's not perfect. It has reoccurring issues over and over again. The thing is, the NHS provided me with a physio who gave me exercises to do. If you do this, you will get well. And have you been given exercises by physios? Any of them done the exercises that the physios asked you to do? <laughs> no, there's all these exercises. I did them a couple of times, but I couldn't really be bothered, to be perfectly honest. And now because of that, every now and then my shoulder and my back causes me problems. And likewise, we can do half-hearted attempts at sorting ourselves out. Half-hearted attempts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe we take this bit, but not that bit. Maybe I'm happy to attend church on Sunday, because it makes me feel good and like being with people. Well, actually, I'm not, I'm not happy with that affecting the rest of my life. We have a half-hearted attempt. I, was, I felt really challenged by God uh, this week, actually. I often pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Come Holy Spirit, come. It's one of the oldest prayers in, in the Christian faith. Come Holy Spirit, come. And I felt challenged by God. So do you actually mean that when you pray that? Are you just saying it? Because the problem is, God doesn't fit within our limits. God doesn't fit within our box of, of how things sh we feel things should be done. That's religious in this negative context of limiting God. And actually, praying, come Holy Spirit, come, is a really scary prayer because it opens us up to the unknown. 
It steps us into a new way of doing and thinking and experiencing God. It's a way that enables us to get well. When we pray that prayer, when I pray that prayer, am I actually thinking that? Or am I thinking, please God, don't do anything? Please God, just keep things nice and simple because, you know, I like it the way it is. It's not great, but I'm happy with how I am. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Jesus is asking you that question. He's offering you something. But maybe it's scary. Maybe it's unknown. Maybe it's a question of trust. Do you trust that Jesus has your best interests at heart? Or are you sitting there thinking, actually... I think I'll stick with where I am. Jesus basically clear, you can't sit on the fence. You're either for me or against me. Let's just be quiet for a moment. And then in a moment, we'll have some questions that just give you an opportunity to reflect. Let's just be quiet. And just consider what is your answer to that question that Jesus asked, do you want to get well? Jesus brought healing after 38 years of illness. Is there a long-term condition you need Jesus to heal? It's never too late. Do you want to get well? No, really, are you prepared to take on the change that being well brings? Are you holding back from real health because you are happier staying in your current condition? What are the steps you know you need to take but aren't taking? Why not? Talk to Jesus about it now.